Today's preaching, I'm going to use slides. It takes a great deal more effort to prepare these slides. I could preach this content for the entire month of February without preparation because of previous study, but I've put it into slides to hopefully make it easier for you to understand and we can reach our children as well. I want to teach you the seven sacraments. Seven sacraments. Baptists don't use the word sacrament, so I'll be explaining the word sacrament and why we don't use that word. It's the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. These slides are correct and true about Roman Catholic doctrine and practice, though simplified for the children that are here and youth and those that may be ignorant of the Catholic Church. Any claim that I make in this study can be easily proven by internet research. Any aspect of this study may be expanded to much greater detail than I provide. More has been written for and more has been written against the Roman Catholic Church than probably any other subject on earth. These are the kind of slides I'll be using, and you're familiar with them now, so I can just jump past this. We'll start with the Word of God in red. We'll have some supporting information in purple, and we'll have triangles once in a while that we ought to grab a lesson or rule to learn from the material covered. Why am I preaching Roman Catholic doctrine to you today, especially since it's Communion Sunday? Reason number one, because Paul told me to do it. Paul told me to preach against Roman Catholicism if I want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. A good minister of Jesus Christ will remind you of certain things Paul had listed. We're told that right here. If you do these things, you'll be a good minister, Paul told Timothy, if you'll put the brethren in remembrance of these things. A healthy minister, nourished up in faith and doctrine, will preach these things because it says that as well. That a man nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine will preach against the things Paul listed, the things you need to hear from time to time are the heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. She's the greatest enemy of Christianity. She's the mother of all other enemies of Bible Christianity. And so you need to understand her doctrine, her practice, to despise it, hate it, and look for it, that it never creeps into our churches or thinking. She is the mother church of other harlot churches and abominations of doctrine. The Roman Catholic Church calls herself the Mother Church, and she is, by the Bible's words, she's the mother of harlot churches, and she's the mother of abominations of doctrine. You should ask me this question, what are the things Paul had listed here so that you can know it is truly about the Roman Catholic Church? You can see the verse that I need to put you in remembrance of certain things to be a good minister can I show you that they are the things of the Roman Catholic Church? Let's remember, reason number one to learn Roman Catholic doctrine from time to time is because Paul told me to do it. Pastors once blasted the Roman Catholic Church in pulpits. The change in my lifetime is dramatic. Right. And the change in the 50 years before my life began was dramatic. William Screven, 
that started the, the Anapato Baptist Church of Christ in Charleston, South Carolina did. Charles Spurgeon did up until 1892 when he died. Ian Paisley did until he died a few years ago. Yep. He was not a Baptist. But pulpits blasted against the Roman Catholic Church. They knew it was Antichrist. They knew it was the man of sin. They knew it was the greatest enemy of Bible Christianity. 1 Timothy 4.1. We were at verse 6. Now we back up to verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Spirit speaketh expressly. This does not take much work to figure out. The Holy Spirit's very plain. The Holy Spirit told Paul plainly about some heresies coming in the last times. Some Christians would depart from the true religion of the apostles of Jesus. Just like we read earlier this morning from Galatians chapter 1. These Christians would listen to seducing spirits, devils, rather than to God's written word. They would follow doctrines of devils rather than follow God's written word due to the seducing influence of those devilish spirits. Paul had warned that this would happen in other places as well, just like he described in Galatians 1 that it had happened to those churches. 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, these Christians that would depart from apostolic doctrine would speak lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They would no longer be sensitive to the Word of God or the Spirit of God. How could a Christian pastor ever turn from the apostolic truth to lies of the devil? How could it happen? By hypocrisy. Pretending to represent Jesus Christ, but preaching lies to please men and to promote himself instead. By choosing fear and love of men, their consciences became dead to conviction. And so men left wholesale. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Rome, said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, All men forsook me. This can still happen, which is why reminders must be made of the most popular lies, so that you will be established in the truth against them. Pastor, what are the lies that Christians would leave the truth to preach instead? What are the lies? We've been to 1 Timothy 4.6 that tells me how to be a good minister by preaching those lies. We've been to 1 and 2 that say they're doctrines of devils. And here's verse 3. Forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Because we know the truth and because we believe the truth, you get to have pepperoni pizza. We are delivered from Jewish dietary laws from the book of Leviticus because the New Testament put those laws aside and we are no longer to judge men in respect of meat or drink. These false teachers that would leave the Christian doctrine, the apostolic faith, would preach that marriage was wrong in order to please God more. They would preach that meat must be avoided in order to please God more. So here's the two errors. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. They would do this 
though Peter was married, and the New Testament approves any meat. What church, what church both forbids marriage and has commands against eating meat? It's not the Seventh-day Adventists. They command not to eat meat, but they don't forbid marriage. They forbid hot marriages, but that's a point for another time. The Roman Catholic Church is the guilty church here, and it's the mother of all false churches, and it's the largest segment of Christianity in the world today. Out of 2.2 billion Christians, 1.2 billion claim to be Catholics, and they forbid marriage, and they abstain from meats. These are Roman Catholic doctrines of celibacy, that's the word in their religion for no marriage, and abstinence is their choice of words from meat. Notice Paul's word. It's not fasting, it's abstinence from meat. And I'll show you that. They want you to know for sure that they are the ones of 1 Timothy 4.3. How did celibacy become mandatory for priests? First of all, we should ask, where in the world did priests come from? We have one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and each of you are made priests and kings by him. This is the vow of celibacy being renewed by these very nice men in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. There's the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church with its serpentine columns. And there's 450 feet of open space above it up to that dome that was designed by Michelangelo. This is the largest church in the world, the Roman Catholics, and by far the most important. But there are all those men forbidding marriage, just like Paul said would happen. Here are women that become nuns. Look at those smiling women. They're celibate. They will not marry. They'll never have a husband. Why? Because men would depart from the Christian faith and teach doctrines of devils. Here's what Pope Paul VI said, who was Pope from about 1963 to about 1978. Priestly celibacy has been guarded by the church for centuries as a brilliant jewel and retains its value undiminished even in our time when the outlook of men and the state of the world have undergone such profound changes. There's the doctrine of devils. There's their claim that it is a brilliant jewel. Here's one of their statements about their celibate priests and Joseph, chaste guardian of the virgin. See, they believe that Joseph was a chaste guardian of the Virgin Mary and never had sex with her. But the Bible tells us in a King James Bible that Jesus was her firstborn son, and we can read the names of sons and daughters that she also gave birth to. To you I entrust the purity of my soul and body. Oh, come on. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Forbidding to marry is the main reason their priests are sodomites and pedophiles. This is is in a triangle. This is a lesson that we should already know from the word of God. Forbidding to marry, requiring their priests to be celibate and never have a wife is the main reason. Their priests number over 50% as sodomites and many of them are pedophiles 
as the news continues to report to us every month. Because the Bible says this, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Because if you don't, you will make provision for fornication, which is sexual sin. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again. That means in the marriage bed, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Incontinency is the inability to control yourself sexually, and Satan will be able to tempt you that way if you're not having regular sexual intercourse with a spouse. This is the Word of God. Verse 9, But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. They don't give them that option. They make them go celibate or single so they don't get to marry, so they're burning. And it creates the terror of that church's priesthood. Every story you have heard about what happens in prisons due to men being locked up without women is fulfilled and exceeded by Rome's priests. Let's move to the next false doctrine that 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 gave us. Fasting and abstinence. Fasting is when a Catholic has one large meal and two small meals that do not together exceed the large meal, and they call that a fast. One large meal and two small meals that add up to the large meal. That's fasting. But they have two rules about food. And I want you to notice, they have fasting and they have abstinence. Now they fast during Lent and they fast at other times during the year, but they have abstinence on Fridays. The law of abstinence. Notice, I didn't make this up. This is from one of their apologetic sites, the Catholic Fortress. The law of abstinence is no meat. Amazing. But the Bible says that every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Abstaining from meat is why public schools served fish on Fridays in most states and that we grew up with in the public school system. There were fish sticks every Friday as this Protestant nation catered to Roman Catholicism in the public schools. And I recently sent you a link that it all began in Cincinnati, Ohio. A few months ago, I sent you that link. Here's what a public school lunch looks like. And this is not milk. I don't care what it calls itself. When it's fat-free, it ain't milk. But there's the fish sticks. Every Friday. Every Friday. Because of that right there, the law of abstinence of the Roman Catholic Church. Did you notice that the Catholics use two words for their dietary laws? They use fasting, and they also use abstinence. Fasting is eating one regular full meal and two small meals on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Abstinence is not consuming meat in your diet or meals, and a good alternative is fish. Catholics call it abstinence to make sure you know they are the heretics 
of 1 Timothy 4.3. I love their choice of words. That is their doctrinal word, abstinence. And that's what Paul's doctrinal word was. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. So I've shown you their celibacy. I've shown you their abstaining from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Amen. Number two reason to learn Roman Catholic doctrine. To warn old and young against errors. I want to warn the old in this church and the young in this church against errors that could creep in from that mother of all errors. Number three, to make rules of interpretation instinctive. For you to be able to read a Bible passage and instinctively make some of the basic interpretational choices that we make. Number four, to look for these abominations creeping in among Baptists, and they creep in among Baptists. Number five, to understand our current look at martyrs, which we're going to be doing every Sunday through the year 2019. <laughs> to know Jesus is the only priest you need Amen. is why we're doing this. And to understand the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is going to bring us to the Lord's table. Amen. This is a very valuable study for us to see what men have done to the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how we are holding it fast in a time when hardly anyone anymore preaches against the heresies of Catholicism. The Bible has more about Catholics leaving the truth to follow devilish heresies than just 1 Timothy 4. Here's 2 Thessalonians 2, which we went over not too long ago. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Many efforts will be made to deceive about Jesus Christ's second coming. Here is God's absolute and final timetable. Two other events must come first. The first event is a falling away, right up here. A falling away first. So the first event is a falling away. Christians leaving God's truth for the lives of men, and we just looked at two of them. Celibacy and abstinence from meat. The second event is the man of sin showing up right here. The man of sin will be identified. He'll be visible. He'll be public. The popes of Roman Catholicism. Thus, the falling away includes forbidding marriage and abstaining from meat because that was one of that. Those are two of the doctrines that the apostle Paul identified as part of departing from the faith, which is falling away from the faith. Verse four, this man of sin The son of perdition. The son of perdition is also used as a title for Judas Iscariot because he was a hypocrite and so are the popes of Rome. The son of perdition. This man, the popes of Rome, Pope Frank, Pope Benedict, Pope John Paul, Pope Innocent III, Pope Pius VI, whoever, they oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. The man of sin is easily and only the popes of Rome, fulfilling every word of 2 Thessalonians 2. Most of our fathers in the faith knew this until the last 150 years of futurism. The commentaries, the preachers, the sermons, the writings, the books, they all knew that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 was about the popes of Rome. 
The popes pretend they have authority like God and he changes any laws of God that he wants. He can require celibacy when the Bible says it's a doctrine of the devil. He can require you to abstain from meat, the greatest cult in the world. They can tell you what to eat, if you can or cannot marry, where you've got to marry, what you've got to wear, when you've got to do it, on and on it goes, the cult of Rome. He rejects, we have to reject all lies of various futurists that do not have the man of sin in a church. If you read or listen to anybody about prophecy and they don't have the man of sin in a church, you are listening to a liar. He doesn't understand Bible prophecy, and he ought to close up the Bible and sit down. Because you've got to be in the temple of God. And any Jewish temple is not a temple of God. Your house is left unto you desolate. And any third temple that would be built would be less the temple of God than that second one was that Jesus denied. And we recently dissected this passage in 2 Thessalonians 2. We need to thank God always for saving us by truth, from the strong delusions that he sent others to believe. So the Bible says, for this cause, verse 11, right here, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This is the same passage of Scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul charged them, and Paul charges us through them, to stand fast. That means to be fastened in our place and not move, and hold only to apostolic tradition. Same passage. Right after giving thanks for their following the truth, he said, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So that's why I preach this to you. Because you've got to know where we stand, where they stand, for me to be a good minister nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. The Bible has more about Catholics leaving the truth to follow devilish heresies than just 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Daniel 7, 25. No collaboration between Chris Carnell and me today. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Wear them out. Wear out the saints. There's the inquisitions of the Dark Ages and the persecution by our fathers in the faith by the Roman Catholic Church. He shall speak great words against God, and he'll think to change times and laws. He'll change anything he wants to, and they shall be given. That is, our fathers in the faith would be given to the popes of Rome and their persecuting power, For a time, that's one. Times, that's two. And the dividing of time, that's one half. That is three and a half years. That is three and a half years, which is 42 months, which is 1,260 days, 42 times 30. That's the time of the Dark Ages that the Roman Catholic Church persecuted our fathers. This little horn of Daniel 7 blasphemed the God of heaven. The popes wore out the saints of God. You need to think about martyrs, inquisitions, and persecutions. They changed the word of God. They hurt the saints of God. And we long ago dissected this passage in our study of Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is very, very important 
because Daniel 7 is the only chapter in Daniel that extends to and past us. Right. The rest end with the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm speaking of the six chapters of prophecy, chapters 7 through 12. Revelation 13. There was power given unto him a mouth speaking great things. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. This shouldn't be any difficult. This should not be difficult to catch up that it's the same enemy Daniel's talking about, even though I'm not giving you the context that shows it even clearer. Power was given to him to continue 40 and two months, same time period, 1,260 years. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Is that consistent with 2 Thessalonians 2? This is the man of, call him what you will. But biblically, he's the man of sin. He's the Antichrist beast. He's the great whore church. He's the little horn of Daniel 7. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We can thank God that we do not believe the lies of the Roman Catholic Church by God's grace. Amen. Revelation 13 foretold the Roman Catholic Church and its popes as a kingdom, as a beast. Revelation 17. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Spiritual adultery. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. There's the beast of the Roman Empire, but a church is riding it to power. The next verse. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, the colors of the Roman Catholic Church, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, the jewels and precious minerals of the Roman Catholic Church, having a golden cup, there's her chalice that she's going to be lifting up in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, spiritual adultery. And upon her forehead was a name written, even though that's where they put the sign of the cross, is on the forehead of their constituents. The Lord has a name on her forehead, mystery. But it's not a mystery to us. Right. Not a mystery at all. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. She's the mother church of other harlot churches and of abominations in doctrine and practice. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Paul marveled in Galatians chapter 1 that the Galatians had departed from the gospel so soon, John wondered with great admiration. He couldn't believe it that the greatest enemy of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ is a Christian church. He wondered with great admiration, this woman, this church, 
a church in the Bible is described as a woman because either she's a chaste virgin of Jesus Christ as a woman or she's a harlot church that's committed spiritual adultery and this woman is drunken with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Revelation 17 foretold the Roman Catholic Church and its popes as a church riding that beast into power as a woman. The Roman Catholic Church's mother church, her daughter churches are also harlots like her, committing spiritual adultery with the word of God. The Roman Catholic Church's mother church, her false doctrines are abominations to God. All Baptist churches should examine their doctrine for abominations of Rome. We should examine carefully what we practice and what we believe to see how many can be traced back to Rome. And by God's grace, we've been delivered from many of them. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. I'm still in Revelation 17 at the moment. And if you're wondering... How do you know that that woman is Rome? How do you know that that woman is Roman? Well, just keep reading that chapter, and when it gets toward the end of the chapter, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Which city was reigning over the kings of the earth in the time that John wrote the book of Revelation? Rome was. There should be no doubt that the enemy described in Revelation 17 is Roman. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, that's the devil himself, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We heard this morning the testimony of a martyr given that kept the commandments of God against the devilish doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, against the dragon doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. We want to be in that number right there which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can Baptists allow any association with all hallowed evening? How can a Baptist church put black paper or cloth over its windows and have a haunted house in a church building? How can they have any association with Halloween, the all hallowed evening of the Roman Catholic Church, how can Baptists allow any association with Christ's Mass when our fathers in the faith gave their lives against the Mass? How about Ishtar's Day in the spring? How about Valentine's Day? These are Roman Catholic holidays. It's called St. Valentine's Day, if you get your terminology right. How about eternal sonship? Where does it come from? The Roman Catholic Church popularized origins doctrine. How about church steeples? Baby dedications. Are you kidding me? A baby dedication in a Baptist church? What in the world are you doing? That'd be the least thing you should ever think of doing. Why would, you, why would it even cross your mind? I'll tell you why it crosses your mind. Because Rome wants you to think about it. How about holy matrimony? Holy matrimony is a sacrament of the Roman Catholic Church. We believe in marriage and we believe in weddings. And we believe in great marriages and we believe in biblical weddings, but they're not called holy matrimony and they're not sacraments. Right. Nor do they occur in churches in the Bible. No one went to a church for a wedding in the Bible. Where did that idea come from? Why do you think it's in your head? Because it's biblical? Because you're spiritually minded? 
or because the Roman Catholic Church has already set the agenda for how we think. How about anointing with oil? Where did that come from? You say it came from the Bible, not for Baptists. Baptists have known for 2,000 years that oil doesn't work. That's why they're called cessationists, because the gifts of the apostles went away. But the Roman Catholic Church is the one that continues to use anointing oil for last rites and extreme unction. The Roman Catholic Church is mother of false Christianity and the greatest enemy of the true gospel. Jews and Muslims are enemies of the gospel, but they never fell away from Jesus Christ. That's why they're not dealt with in the Bible much after 70 AD. We're not warned about them as the great enemy of Christianity. Paul dealt with them. Jesus dealt with them. But they never fell away from Christ. We're dealing with those that fell away from apostolic doctrine of Jesus Christ. Little children, it is the last time. John wrote in 1 John 2, And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. So we're dealing with the enemy of Christianity that went out from apostolic churches and formed the Roman Catholic Church. We want to learn the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. This is St. Peter's Church in Rome, Italy. Those little, little tiny specks down there are six-foot people. You can't see them, but that is a huge church. And the courtyard there with an obelisk in the center of it brought by Caligula from Egypt and put there, which is the center of their outside plaza. And there is the church here, St. Peter's Basilica. There's the crowd when the Pope's going to speak. It's a little larger than ours. Here's the Pope addressing that crowd from his balcony up here. We have stepped inside the church, and we're looking down the main part of the church structure to the high altar of the Roman Catholic Church with its serpentine columns there. Look at the size of the walls. Look at the height of the people. Look at the height of those alcoves and the statutes and the gold and the marble and the design and the expense and the cost. Doesn't it look like the stable of the Lord Jesus Christ where he was laid in a manger? Doesn't it look like where the apostles would have got together in an upper room where they would have hid from fear of the Jews? We move, we move on down toward that high altar and there it is with its serpentine columns. And you can see the altar right here, what they call an altar in a church. By the way, if you go to a Baptist church, or if you've ever heard of a Baptist church that calls a table at the front, the altar, that's a Baptist church with a problem. There is no altar in a Baptist church. Our altar's in heaven, and the sacrifice was offered once for all. And it was accepted by God and never needs to be offered again. We don't have an altar in a Baptist church. Do you know how many times they say, if anybody would like to be saved, come on down to the altar. Oh, they're getting so close. They might as well bring out incense and, and sprinkle water on those that come down front. Look at that thing. There's a dome above that high altar that is 450 feet off the floor. 
This up here is 450 feet off the floor. This is looking under that high altar of the Catholic Church. And of course, they have the Holy Spirit coming on their masses in figure only. As we go past that high altar and go toward this part of the church, there's another altar down here, and that is about six feet high on several steps, and there's the chair of St. Peter, way up on the wall there. What a church. Now, that's in Rome. That's in Rome. I showed you the Roman church because the Bible says it was the city that reigns over the kings of the earth. Where is this church? Greenville, Washington Ave, St. Mary's, the oldest Catholic church in Greenville. My favorite place to go when I visit a Catholic church, which is once every few years, just to remind myself what God has saved me from and to send me out of there with zeal in my heart for the truth of the martyrs and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We step, into side, we step inside St. Mary's, it's much simpler than what you just saw from Rome. It's much smaller, but it still has its altar, and it still has its statutes, and it still has its stained glass. Here's a service getting started, and the uh, procession of the... This is the priest that was a Baptist, who calls himself a former Anabaptist, making his way up to the high altar. I mean, the altar of this Catholic church. There's a monstrance with a host in it being adored. A host? That's a leftover cracker. Here's the same man. Here's altar boys. Mark, were you an altar boy once? He was one of those boys to assist the priest in mass. What is a sacrament? This is doctrine. 101. What is a sacrament? The word isn't used in the Bible, so we want to know what Catholics mean by the word. A sacrament is a Christian rite viewed as a particular importance and significance. I'm going to give you several of their definitions in a row. A sacrament is a Christian rite viewed as of particular importance and significance. A sacrament is an outward sign that conveys inward grace to save the soul. A sacrament is a religious ritual to impart God's grace necessary for eternal life. An outward sign of inward grace instituted by Christ to work sanctification. These are four definitions of what a sacrament is. So it's something that is done outwardly, but when it's done outwardly, it conveys inward grace and brings God's grace into a person to save them, and it's necessary for salvation. Seven sacraments of Rome. Baptism. We're going to go over this page many times. I want you to know the seven sacraments of Rome. Baptism, confirmation, mass or Eucharist, penance or confession, last rites, or extreme unction, or anointing of the sick, holy matrimony, and orders being ordained to the priesthood. There's the seven sacraments of Rome. Sacramentalism is conditional salvation depending on use of the sacraments. 
Sacramentalism is that God's grace comes to you by doing certain things. And those certain things are sacraments. Sacramentalism requires sinners to do religious rites to get eternal life. Baptists become sacramentalists when they think they can carry the gospel and put names in the book of life by gospel preaching. But that's a subject for another time. Mother Church teaches, while a sacrament is a symbol of grace, it is also the means of obtaining grace. They recognize that there is some symbolism in the rites of the church, but they also look at it as the means of obtaining grace. The church teaches, while God is not bound to use sacraments in giving grace, it is his ordinary means. Wouldn't you say that Baptists would say, while God is not bound to use the gospel to save infants, idiots, or others, it's his ordinary means. Just keep that in mind, though that is not my main point. Mother Church teaches that the external thing, or the action, is called the matter of the sacrament, and the words are called the form of it. So those words that are uttered, like, this is my body, or I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, those words are the form, and the matter is, you know, using water, or using wine, and unleavened bread. Mother Church teaches that Protestants and Reformers agree with us about sacraments as their creeds declare. Apologists for the Roman Catholic Church know that Protestants and Reformers never really left their sacramental religion because they still use the word sacrament. There were seven sacraments instituted by Jesus Christ, and this number cannot be changed. That's what Mother Church teaches. That's one of her abominations. Protestants and reformers usually reduce them to two. They take the seven sacraments down to two, baptism and communion. But they still call them sacraments. Baptists don't call them sacraments. Baptists call them ordinances. But why in the world do they think the church has two ordinances? Why do they think the church has two principal ordinances? Any ordinance of Jesus Christ is important. And baptism isn't even an ordinance of the church. Baptism is a ministerial ordinance. Where in the world do Baptists get two ordinances from? Because they're still holding to the skirts of the Roman Catholic Church. That's where they got it from. No other place. No place in the Bible are there said to be two sacraments or two ordinances of a church of Jesus Christ. Real Baptists hate the word sacrament. Any Baptist using it is a heretic. We hate the word sacrament. Real Baptists know Jesus, ordain signs like baptism, but they do not give grace. Seven sacraments of Rome, baptism, confirmation, mass, penance, last rites, matrimony, and orders. Baptism, pour water on infant foreheads, to wash away original sin and regenerate them and make them members of the church. Much more could be said than definition, but we'll just limit it to two lines. Confirmation, laying on of hands to give the Holy Ghost for grace in bold faith and new character, usually at 14 years of age. Mass, the priest turns a cracker into Jesus, offers him to God, and then allows communion. First communion is seven years old by order of the Pope, in 1910. Yes, I love it. They have their infants 
that they made Christians by baptism when they were one week old, taking mass at seven, but not being confirmed till they were 14. I love their mixed up illogical system because it exposes itself as being idiotic that you take communion seven years before you're confirmed that you're even a Catholic. Mass, penance, after confessing mortal sins to a priest, you don't have to confess venial sins. They break all sins into three categories, oversights or faults. Venial sins, mortal sins. Venial sins are sins like white lies that didn't hurt anyone. These are their examples. Venial sins are like Lot's wife. I think that was pretty serious for Lot's wife. But that's a venial sin. You don't have to confess them. They just get washed away as long as you're coming to church once in a while. And then he assigns a penance. That's something you've got to do to make up for temporal punishment for your sins. Last rites is anointing the sick. It's usually for those dying, so it's called extreme unction. It forgives sins to make a person ready for heaven, and they can bypass purgatory and just skate on in. Matrimony. A priest binds a man and woman in perpetual marriage in a Roman Catholic church, and there is absolutely nothing in heaven or earth that can break a Roman Catholic marriage. Oh, and all these fundamentalist Baptists that hold the same position, they didn't get it from reading the Bible because Jesus and Paul made exceptions to marriage covenants and said a man is not under bondage in such cases, but not to the Catholic Church and not to Baptists again. Every one of these sacraments can be seen to leak in to Baptist thinking. And that's orders as ordination. Mother Church wisdom, consider how she claims power over human souls from before birth, fetal baptism, that's in utero baptism, through death and even beyond time and beyond, because in purgatory, you can buy candles and have prayers and masses said to move a dead relative from purgatory to heaven. Before birth, after death. They've got you and everything in between. It's an incredible system. The cycle starts all over again with a Catholic wedding that leads to child baptism in the first week, first communion at 7, confirmation at 14, and a wedding again at 20, and you just keep that cycle going, and it's all in the church controlled by the church, authorized by the church, approved by the church, blessed by the church, in beautiful ceremonies that it is very difficult to reject because they're beautiful. This is in red. I hope you can read the black writing, though it's on a red background. I hope it's not too bad. If it's bad, I'll change it next time. But for right now, it's red with black writing. These are the anathemas of the Council of Trent which was held for 18 years between 1545 and 1563 when the Roman Catholic Church issued these curses. Now, our beloved brother Paul said, if any man preach a gospel different than what I've preached to you, let him be accursed. So we curse, we issue an anathema against the Pope of Rome today. But they, against the Reformation, which was beginning to steal members from their churches had an 18-year church council to come up with these heresies for which you could be killed. And these heresies by which anyone could be excommunicated from the Catholic Church, let him be anathema. These are their words. This is their list. Brethren, we live in a time where information is so readily available that a person can do study 
a thousand times better than two generations ago. I don't have to go to a library to get every anathema of the Council of Trent. If you type in anathema Trent to a Google search box in one second, you will have them all listed by Wikipedia. It's incredible what we have, and yet there's less truth today and more error. And there's no one preaching against Roman Catholicism like they ought to, to be good ministers of Jesus Christ, nourished up in faith and good doctrine. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law, that's the Catholic new law of the New Testament, were not instituted by Jesus Christ our Lord, or that they are more or less than seven, or that any one of the seven is not truly and properly a sacrament, let him be anathema. Burn him at the stake. There's three points in that paragraph. And we don't have time to analyze them. We just can go on. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary for salvation, let him be anathema. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law do not contain the grace which they signify, let him be anathema. If anyone says that grace, as far as God is concerned, is not given through the sacraments always and to all men, let him be anathema. Do you know who they're cursing? You and me. Let's just jump through these. Our Baptist fathers defied Rome about sacraments and gave their lives against them. A proof of Baptist perpetuity. This word right here means that Baptist churches have existed perpetually from John the Baptist and the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ to the present time. A proof of perpetuity from the apostles as enemies naming heresies that we believe. The Council of Trent is one of the best proofs for the Baptist church exist Baptist churches existing before 1600. Modern church historians want to say that the Baptists started in 1600. This proves that in 1550, they were all well established and there were enough of them to justify at a huge Catholic council that they would identify what we still believe today. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, I despise, mock, and trample on the seven sacraments of the Roman whore and her brothel. Amen. Why do modern Baptists think the church has two ordinances? And from whom did they get that wretched idea? That's not in the Bible. You say, well, baptism's in the Bible, and the Lord's Supper's in the Bible, yes, and about 400 other things that Jesus ordained that we're supposed to do in the New Testament. He didn't even give the one to a church. It's ridiculous. I want us to always be thinking what's Roman about what we think or do. Every command of Jesus Christ for us to follow is an ordinance, not just baptism and the Lord's Supper. Think. Don't just let tradition guide you unless it's apostolic tradition. Where does this exaltation of two come from? Here's Charles Spurgeon, Roman Catholicism. We, ha- we must have no truce, no treaty with Rome. War! Amen. War to the knife with her. Peace there cannot be. She cannot have peace with us, We cannot have peace with her. She hates the true church. And we can only say that the hatred is reciprocated. We would not lay a hand upon her priests. We would not touch a hair of their heads. 
Let them be free. But their doctrine we would destroy from the face of the earth as the doctrine of devils. So let it perish, O God, and let that evil thing become as the fat of lambs. Into smoke let it consume, yea, into smoke let it consume away. Now that was just 100 years ago. There aren't sermons like that very often anymore. Baptism, confirmation, mass, penance, last rites, matrimony, and orders. Baptism. Let's look at baptism. We just heard about baptism. No collaboration. You heard about a 15-year-old who died for baptism. This is a Roman Catholic baptism. They believe in effusion. There's three shun words. Immersion is what we believe. That means dipping a person underwater and submerging them and bringing them back up. Effusion is pouring. Aspersion is sprinkling. Roman Catholics are effusionists. Though they will accept any method, they pour. Presbyterians are aspersionists. They sprinkle. There they are, pouring water three times on baby. Pouring water three times on baby. Plus so many more things, I do not have enough life left in me to preach the ritual of a Roman Catholic baptism. The baby is held by the godparents outside the church doors, and the devils are exorcised out of it by the priest. Then brought in, and the devils are exorcised out of the baby again, and a church door has to be opened for the devils to leave. Then salt is put into baby's mouth to keep it preserved from devil possession, and on and on. Holy chrism is going to be rubbed into that baby's forehead. You say, what is chrism? Chrism is oil and balsam combined together to make a special anointing ointment, special colored blankets, godparents, everything. It's unbelievable. Inventions. She's the mother of abominations. There's another one. Oh, it's so much fun to see little baby. Let's dress up. Let's buy baby a nice special christening gown and let's pour some water on its head. There we go again. This little baby's having a great deal of fun. She's a little older than one week old. The Roman Catholic Church wants you to get that baptism in the first week, lest anything happen to baby without that baptism, and then she would go to limbo. That baby would go to limbo. That's a place of natural happiness, but it's not the presence of God. Now, Pope Frank just got rid of limbo in the last few years. You should have read about it in the news. He just said, nah, there ain't really any place called limbo unbaptized babies now go to heaven because the Roman Catholic Church is on an effort to keep their church from shrinking. Mm -hmm. Everyone's so happy, all dressed up, babies having fun. Pope Benedict pouring water in a Roman Catholic baptism. Pope Frank pouring water in a Roman Catholic baptism. Let the children come to me Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, their defense of Roman baptism. See the pouring by the priest on the little baby held by grandpa or daddy or godparent or something? Let the little children come to me. When Jesus said that, he didn't baptize them. He didn't tell his apostles to baptize them. He didn't text John and say, John, would you run over and baptize some of these little children that have come to me? He put them on his knee and he blessed them. He didn't baptize them. Right. 
This is Roman Catholic idea of baptism. See, it's pouring. That's their Jesus. That's a far cry from mine. My Jesus has short hair that looks like the close-cropped hair of a Caesar of that time and made a scourge and drove the money changers out of his temple. My John, John the Baptist doesn't look quite like that either. Roman Catholic baptism is an abomination to God for three very large reasons. It doesn't save. They're doing it to infants instead of believers, and they're pouring instead of immersing. Bible baptism is totally different. Bible baptism does not save. It is only for believers, and it's only by immersion. And that's where we stand, though it puts us in only 5% of all the so-called Christians on earth because 95% of them do, do it to infants and do not do it by immersion and believe that it saves. These three errors are huge. This is what we believe about baptism. Yes, bury that body in water. Bury that body in water. Bury that body in Siberian water. That is Siberia that doesn't have a baptistry in their church and doing it outside. Mother Church teaches baptism washes away original and mortal sins, regenerates a person as a child of God, makes infants members of the church. Baptism makes you a member of the church. Have we encountered that one before? That is Roman Catholic, pure and simple. That's where it came from, and it becomes tradition in Protestants and Reformers and many Baptists' thinking, not ours. It's the only sacrament for original sin. It saves a person both legally and vitally. Intrauterine baptism is also done. If you wanted to be baptized but you couldn't find a Catholic priest, that's good enough. And if you died a martyr's death as a Catholic and you couldn't get baptized, that's good enough as well. That's for intrauterine baptism. That's in a museum. It's well known. There's books written about in utero baptism. I'll just leave it at that. Mother Church teaches three ways. Effusion is pouring. Aspersion is sprinkling. Immersion is burying. They practiced immersion for a thousand years. Not until 1200 A.D. did the Roman Catholic Church leave immersion. Though they did it to babies. Just like the Greek Catholic Church does it to this day. The Greek Catholic Church immerses babies three times for baptism. Effusion, which is pouring, and aspersion, which is sprinkling, came into vogue due to lack of water in certain places. There wasn't enough to bury them under, to bury them in water. That's why we read in John 3.23 that Baptists make sure there's lots of water somewhere. And that's why John was baptizing in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. And because of the sickly that they didn't, that they didn't want to or they couldn't put under water, they went to pouring and sprinkling. Listen, they have so many more inventions. I'll send you some, some links will be attached to these slides that will entertain you for a while. What they go through at a baptism. Mother Church teaches the water must be poured on the forehead. The formula is to be recited at the same time. The water is poured three times. It's got to be natural water with holy oil and chrism in it. Salt is put in the infant's mouth. Demons are exercised by the priest. God, parents promise to help, and the child is given a saint's name. Is any of that in the Bible? No. 
Mother Church teaches the infant should be baptized as soon as possible because they believe the original sin and guilt lies on that child. Death sends dry infants to limbo. That means they weren't baptized. Baptism sends infants to heaven. Pope Frank canceled limbo. Anyone can baptize if it's necessary, and even against parents if it's necessary. Like in Catholic hospitals, eight of our church members work in one way or another for Bon Secours Mercy Catholic hospital system. Protestants and Reformers differ little from the Roman Catholic Church when it comes to baptism. Right. Most Protestants and Reformers, baptism saves. Baptize infants, no immersion. Lutherans, Anglicans, which is the Church of England, Presbyterians would say that doesn't apply to us because baptism doesn't save in our sprinkling sessions with infants. But when you go read the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is in the Trinity Hymnal, which is at each of your seats, they do believe that it guarantees by covenant that that child will be born again sometime during its life by its infant sprinkling. So they play games in terminology and timing. Protestants and Reformers could not leave Mother Church, and they hated Baptists. Protestants and Reformers, by their classical education, by them coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, hated the poor, ignorant, Bible-believing, simple folk called Baptists for the last 2,000 years. The premise that baptism saves is the causative error for many baptism heresies. Right. This is terrible. That baptism saves is terrible. The thief on the cross went to heaven as fast as anyone has ever gone without any baptism by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Arminian Baptists. Think about Southern Baptists, Arminian Baptists. Follow me. They know baptism does not save. They're Baptists. They know infants cannot believe, which is necessary to be saved. They're not sure about original sin. There might be such a thing. So let's invent the age of accountability to save our babies from original sin since we're not going to baptize them until they believe on Jesus and are older. Are you with me? Yes. Think about the Church of Jesus Christ. They believe baptism does save. They know infants do not believe. So they know they have to have believer's baptism. They reject the age of accountability as an invention of man, so they reject original sin. Think about Mormons. They believe baptism does save, but it must be a Mormon baptism. They reject infant baptism of the Roman Catholic Church so they invent baptism for the dead. Because it has to be a Mormon baptism, what about all your relatives that could not be baptized in a Mormon temple? They take care of that by you getting baptized for them by proxy. Those are their words. Peter, the Roman Catholic Church's first pope, destroyed their doctrine of baptism three ways in one verse. Amen. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, the answer of a good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a figure, so it can only save figuratively. What is baptism a figure of? 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ by immersion in water. Baptism does not put away the filth of the flesh, neither Adam's nor yours. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience, which requires a conscious believer. And we've taught that verse before. So Peter, the first pope, blasts them to shreds in one verse by taking away the three arguments that baptism saves, should be applied to children, and can be by any means. The Roman Catholic Church harlots, Protestants and Reformers corrupt this verse in modern versions to remove all three arguments which I've shown you in your Bible, in their Bibles. Baptist baptism is Bible baptism. Believers are immersed as a figure only. Believers, immersed, figure only. It doesn't save. There's the three things we believe about baptism. Remember that the lie that baptism saves is the cause of most baptism heresies. It's a terrible assumption to make, and they made it very early on. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is the Roman Catholic verse for justifying baptismal regeneration, that you're born again by baptism. This is one of their favorite verses, corrupted to teach baptismal regeneration, that you're born again when you're baptized. But there is no baptism in this verse because there is no literal water in the verse. The water here is a symbol for the figurative agent of the Holy Ghost to cleanse the person. By comparing Titus 3.5, the same combination of water and the Holy Ghost is used for the action of washing. It's action in Titus 3.5, it's agent in John 3.5. And we've been over that before. And we just went through the Gospel of John. Don't let anyone ever mislead you with John 3.5. There's no water in there. No literal water. Because it's a figurative emblem for the Holy Ghost. Regarding baptism... If anyone says that in the Roman church, the mother and mistress of all churches, oh, I love them admitting it, don't you? They're admitting Revelation 17. If anyone says that in the Roman church, the mother and mistress of all churches, there is not the true doctrine concerning the sacrament of baptism, let him be anathema. Well, who's anathema? We are. Why did the Council of Trent in the middle of the 1500s write those words? Because there were a large enough number of heretics saying that the Catholic Church didn't have the true doctrine of baptism. If anyone says that baptism is not necessary for salvation, that's pretty short and to the point. Let him be anathema. Thank you. Thank you. If anyone says that children are not to be reckoned amongst the faithful after baptism and must be rebaptized at maturity, or that their baptism should be postponed until they get to 18, like in the Church of Greenville, let them be anathema. <laughs> A proof of Baptist perpetuity from the apostles is enemies naming heresies that we still believe, right. that were believed back then. Our Baptist fathers and mothers defied Rome about baptism, and they died for it like we heard by the Lord's coordinating mercy upon us this morning from our brother Chris. Amen. Maria of Maju, France, was drowned in 1552 for confessing Christ and being rebaptized. 
Her legs are tied together. Her hands are going to be tied. And she's going to be thrown in. She's been in prison. Her hair's been cut off. But she was rebaptized after confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. He who dips shall be dipped. Was the order by the reformer Ulrich Zwingli. We, some of us were raised in compromising situations where we heard that Martin Luther was a great champion of the faith, that Zwingli, Kelvin, Knox, and others were champions of the faith. They hated Baptists. They couldn't leave Rome and the doctrine of baptism. Felix Manns was one of Ulrich Zwingli's followers in Zurich, Switzerland. Zwingli had the city of Zurich. Kelvin had the city of Geneva and their city councils. Felix Manns opposed the reformer Zwingli about infant baptism. He preached Bible baptism and would not stop, so the Zurich city council condemned him to drowning in 1527, his third baptism. First by the Catholics, second by the Baptists, third in Lake Zurich. From an ancient book, a drawing of him having been taken out to this little house in the middle, tied up, and then pulled off into the water to drown. If that didn't work, then they did it this way. Put you in sacks and stuffed you in barrels of water. You know what it would be like to be fighting out of that sack in water and drowning? He who dips shall be dipped. That was the order of Zurich, Switzerland. Anabaptist means rebaptizer. Roman Catholic baptism is not a baptism, Amen. so Baptists are not rebaptizers. Amen. This and this are slur names given to us by our enemies. But we're not really Anabaptists because we don't really rebaptize because a Roman Catholic baptism isn't a baptism. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, I despise, mock, and trample on the infant baptism of the Roman whore and her brothel. Amen. May Jesus Christ be praised, and may we keep the commandments of God and keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen.